Philippians is a unique book of the Bible. It's only four chapters, but it's a beautiful book. Anybody would say, Pastor, Philippians is my favorite book of the Bible. Anybody like that? I would say many of you. The key factor in, in the book of Philippians is the, is the topic of joy. And uh, it's, a, it's a great book that has a lot of things. In chapter 1, it talks about joy and going through difficult times, suffering. In chapter 2, it talks about the joy of serving the Lord. Chapter 3, the joy of having the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and then joy in surrendering uh, to, our, to our God and, and our substance. It's a unique church. The Apostle Paul, you can read about how Apostle Paul established his church in Acts chapter 16. It was his second missionary journey, and the Apostle Paul had, uh, had a discussion, an argument with, with Barnabas over whether or not to take John Mark. He'd been on one missionary journey, and he had gone, didn't go all the way to Philippi, but he was in Lystra and Iconium. And there we saw a young man get saved named Timothy and his mother, uh, Eunice, his grandmother Lois, and some other folks in Lystra. But he, wherever Paul went, he either started a revival or a riot. And oftentimes it was the latter. He got a riot. And he got stoned and left for dead, but God raised him up. And he left, he got up out of the, off of the stoning, and they thought they'd killed him. And he, and he made his way to Derby on the same day with unbelievable, miraculous energy, supernatural help. God moved him to the next place. But the second missionary journey, he went back to the same city. He was now not with Barnabas, he was with Silas. And they found that young man that they had led to the Lord in their first visit, or at least had come to be exposed to the gospel of Christ. And he had a good testimony wherever he went. And from that testimony, uh, everybody said, oh yeah, oh, Timothy is doing a great job. And he asked him to come with him and to begin the missionary journey together. You know, all of us ought to want somebody to come after us. There's no success without successors. All of us, if you're a, a bus worker, you ought to make a bus worker. If you're a nursery worker, you ought to make a nursery worker. If you work in the truck stop ministry, you ought to get some other people to work in that ministry. All of us ought to be developing somebody else in our ministry. And Paul was that way. He went with a team. But to get Timothy to become the servant of God, the only person in the New Testament that is called the man of God is Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow that which is good. And he tells him what to follow. But he became a man of God. I'll tell you, there's a couple things that cause someone to become a disciplined follower of Christ. Number one, trials. It was a trial. It was a stoning of Apostle Paul in Lystra that it wasn't an easy ministry, but the product was beautiful. It was a, a good young man. His dad would teach him things like Plato and Aristotle and the Greek myths. His mother would teach him about Moses and about the Torah. Uh, he was a divided man. His daddy was a Greek and not a Christian, and his mother was, his grandmother was, and she would love him and teach him the Holy Scriptures from a child. But it was through a trial that he got the opportunity to, to help him. And then I think also uh, it was through the testimony of, the, of Timothy. Timothy had a good testimony. Young people, uh, whoever you are, and he tells him again in 1 Timothy chapter 4, let no man despise thy youth. 
But be thou an example of the believers in word, in, in word, in conversation, charity. He tells him, listen, don't be, don't to be negligent, to be a good example. By the way, the reason Timothy went with Paul is because he had a good testimony. Do you have a good testimony in your neighborhood? How you pay your bills, how you treat your mom and dad, how you take care of your property, all these things are, are a testimony giving either others a good opinion of Jesus or a bad opinion of Jesus. But Timothy had that. Then you see he took him with him. And he trained him in the work of the Lord. Well, their first stop, one of their first stops was the city of Philippi. In Philippi, usually Paul's first stop would be at a synagogue. He would go to the synagogue first because he, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God uh, to all the beliefs, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He would go to the Jew first and then also the Greek. But a synagogue was founded where there were at least 10 Jewish families that would be in a location. If there weren't 10 Jewish families, Jews would oftentimes go to a body of water. They would go to a river. They would go to a, where a lake was or an ocean. They would go to a body of water, and they would pray and seek the Lord there. Well, it was the Sabbath day, and Paul went down, and he saw this lady, Lydia, of Thyatira, a seller of purple, someone who wasn't from Philippi. She was from another part in Asia Minor, but, but she was there. She was in business. She had a home, probably had a husband and kids, but we find that she had a home there, and she would be, she was standing around with her girlfriends, and she was praying. And Paul began to engage in talking with her, and the Bible says God had opened her heart already to be received the gospel. By the way, when you go soul winning, you never go by yourself. God's already working with that. He's, he's opening hearts. You may not see it. You may think that person's the, the last person to ever get saved, and they may be the one ready to be saved. I uh, heard a sweet story not too long ago of a lady in the, in the visitor welcome. She said to me, she said, Pastor, for two years I've been looking for the truth, and I think I found it like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? He said, I can't believe people would knock on my door and asked me to come to this place. This is unbelievable. It's not really all unbelievable. It means that God was working and someone else was obedient. And God put the two things together. Well, Lydia, her heart was open. Paul, Silas, and Timothy went down there. And this girl said, listen, I'm saved now. Would you count me worthy? Why don't you, where are you guys staying at? Now, I don't know if they said the Red Roof Inn or Motel 6 or wherever they were staying. He said, let's don't stay there. Stay in my house. We'll house you while you're here. And they began working with the people in that day. But there was a demon-possessed girl that was in that city. And she, her masters, she, was, she had the spirit of divination. So she could, uh, she could predict futures and know things about people that she shouldn't know except for the demonic activity within her. And her owners made much money because of her demonic gifts. They prostituted her gifts. And so she was going around wherever these Holy men of God says, these are the servants of the Most High God who bring to us the way of salvation. And it wasn't the publicity they really wanted. You wouldn't want a demon-possessed person following you around your bus route. And saying, yeah, these guys are the truth. Listen to them. No, you... But the Bible says that after many days, Paul finally said enough is enough. You know, it teaches me something there. I don't know exactly what it teaches you. But he could have probably identified that he had a demon-possessed girl right away. And he probably could have asked the demon to leave her right away. I don't know what the factors were. 
But he, after many days that he saw this, he said, now it's time for you to get, get out of her. Well, when, she, when it came out, the girl was happy. The owners were bad because, mad because it caught them in the pocketbook. They just lost their source of income. They lost their job. They lost their money. And so they took him down to the magistrates and down to city hall, and the, the people who were extensions of the Roman government began to take their clothes off and began to beat them publicly with everybody's uh, rioting and excitement about that. And then they said, take him down to jail. And when they went down to jail, there was a fellow there who was watching the jail. I don't know if he was a Barney Fife kind of a guy. I don't know for sure. But he thought he had some hardened criminals. And he took them down into the central part of the jail. He put their legs in stocks and bonds, and stocks, and he also did their hands. And they're in the central part, and the down in the inner core. And, but after a while, he heard them singing and praising God and asking God for help and praying. And it really messed with him. But at midnight, the Bible tells us that an earthquake took place. And the earthquake block, it dropped all of, their, all of their, their restraints off of them. The doors opened, and the jailer woke up and realized all the doors are open. He thinks everyone has gone. And if that's the case, whatever a prisoner would have done, you let go, you get their punishment. And now he's got numbers of people, so he thinks he's going to be dead tomorrow morning. So he had, looks like he attempts to take his own life. Paul shouts out, do thyself no harm. Don't hurt yourself. And he says, I got to get these guys. He turns the light. He goes inside there. He takes them outside of the prison wall. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, attend church and get baptized. Is that what they said? No. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Aren't you glad salvation is only hard for God. It's easy for us. It's believing and receiving. God did all the work, trusting and accepting the Lord. If you're here tonight, you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. Don't walk out those doors without Jesus. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he said, you can be saved. Your whole house can be saved. He said, speaking of that, come to my house. And they went down to the house and Woke up the family, they got them all up, and they first of all put some warm water together and washed their wounds. He gave them the gospel, he fed them, and then took them back to jail. And uh, the next morning, the magistrates downtown said, tell those guys that we beat yesterday to hit the road, Jack, and never come back. That was in the Greek, and I'm just joking. He said, tell them to leave our town and get out right away. And Paul, and so this, the, the jailer was kind of excited, he said, you get to go. You get to go. You, they're going to let you go. Just got to go out of town. He said, not so fast. We're Roman citizens. He said, they, they beat us yesterday without a trial. We're not going. They want to just leave. They'll help us leave. And I think that's where missionary support started, right there. I think they got some money to boot. That's what I think. They said, oh, man, we didn't know. And to beat a Roman citizen with papers... If you had a slave, you can beat them. And in the Roman Empire, as many as sometimes, as much as some estimates, 60, 70% of the Roman Empire were slaves. But if you had your papers that you were a Roman citizen, whether by birth or by, by uh, citizenship, they could not beat you without a, without a case in court. We always have, we have that even that same now with us about you're innocent until proven guilty. 
And so they said, oh, man, we didn't know you were Roman citizens. Uh, what can we do? And I'm sure there was some exchange there, and we're sorry. And, and uh, I imagine they helped them with lunch money to boot. They went to Lydia's house, and they went uh, down the road to Thessalonica, probably about 35, 40 miles away. They made their way to the next city. They were only there three Sabbath days when the people that were against them hired men of baser sort. That's the Bible term. I would say they're modern-day gangbangers, thugs. They hired them to cause them to leave the town. And so they had to leave, and they went on to Berea. But while they were there, this little group of people, Lydia, her girlfriends, maybe her family, and the, Ethio, the, uh, the Philippian jailer and the damsel that was, they got together and they said to themselves, Apostle Paul's good at making tents. And I'm sure he can make tents, but he's better at giving the gospel. Why don't we, why don't we do our work? We'll take an offering and we'll take it over to him so he won't have to worry about that. He can get the gospel out. And the Bible tells us they did it two times in that three-week period of time, four-week period of time. They did once and again, they brought money and supplies to the Apostle Paul, sent someone that 35, 40 miles from, from Philippi to Thessalonica, and then they did that throughout uh, Paul's ministry. But at the time... Of this writing, Apostle Paul is in a, Howard, in, a, in a rented home in Rome. Julius had brought him along with, with other, other prisoners and had taken him all the way to Rome. He left them in Antioch and went on to Caesarea Philippi, went on to, to Rome, and had a, they had a shipwreck, 276 people, survived that. And now Julius takes them to Appy Forum and then on into the palace. When he gets to the palace, he tells the... Um, the guy in charge, he says, listen, you can take all these guys. This guy is not your common prisoner. This guy saved our bacon. He kept us from a shipwreck. We listened to him. He's, he's a man of God. Don't put him in there with the regular prisoners. How about let's give him his own rented house and just send one of the guards there to sit with him. And that's what the Lord let Paul do. He let him rent a home and have a guard come in and just to minister to and, and watch him all the time. But during that time, he used the time wisely. He was a prisoner. He couldn't go back to the market and couldn't leave the house. He had to stay there. But every day, he'd have a soldier come. I think that's why when you see he wrote the book of Ephesians. Could you imagine him writing the Ephesian book where he says, Finally, my brother, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against Wilder. He's probably looking at a guy right there that comes in every day. And he has a helmet probably takes it off when he gets in there, sets it down, has a breastplate, has his loins girt about with truth, he has a belt, the girdle on there, he has his feet shod with preparations there, the feet, the feet, the feet are shod, he sees him put the shield down, and sees the sword that he carries, and he uses that analogy, and he says, he probably saw the guy every day, and he describes that. And he wrote the book of Philemon, he wrote the book of Colossians, and he wrote the book of Philippians. But he wrote the book of Philippians because he got a knock at his door, most likely. I can imagine he comes, he's, he's his, Howard, his, his rented house. The soldier probably goes to the door, opens the door. And there's a man standing there, his name is Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus says, um, 
There's a guy named Paul here. He, he, he'd go by the name Saul of Tarshish. You know, you know where he's at? He says, yeah, there's a guy here. I could imagine Paul saying, oh, that's my friend. Is that Epaphroditus? I don't know if Epaphroditus was the jailer. I don't know if he was Lydia's husband, Lydia's boy. I don't know who he was. But he says, Paul, we finally found you. Man, the cell phone tower was down and we couldn't get a hold of you. The server wasn't working. It was terrible. But I'm glad we finally found you. He said, hey, we got some more money. And I'm sure Paul said, boy, good, because rent's due next month. And plus, I need to buy some more paper. I'm writing these letters. He says, then so-and-so brought this, and here's some, here's some food, here's some other items. We hope you might need this. And they gave him that. And he came in and told him all about the church. He told him that Euodius and Syntyche, two ladies in the church, weren't on the same page. They were fighting with each other. He said, now, uh, they're not doing real well. He said, Clement, yeah, and she, she's just not getting the help. No one wants to help her in the church nursery <laughs> or wherever she was working. They gave him some things, and he begins to say, you know what? You guys have really blessed me a lot. And he writes them a letter. He writes it to the pastors, the bishops, and the deacons. Look at it, please, in Philippians chapter 1. When he gets his visit, he writes this letter. Philippians chapter 1, and would you please look at it with me and read with me the first verse. I have just a few minutes here, but let's look at it. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. By the way, those are the two positions in the church, those who are pastors and those who are helping their pastor. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this thing, this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. And would you read verse number seven with me? Are you ready? Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all. And in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, for God is my record, how greatly I longed after you in the bowels of the Jesus Christ. I think if you look at those first few verses, you'll see, number one, he loved these people. He said, I have you where? In my head? Where does he have them? He's like, you guys are dear to me. You can read chapter 4 and verse number 1. Let's look at it real quickly. Chapter 4 and verse 1. And read it out loud with me, would you please? Chapter 4, verse 1, everyone. Therefore, my brethren, dear to be loved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast. What do you think he, what do you think those, what word comes up a couple times there? Beloved, he loved them. He loved them. He believed in them. He said, I'm confident that God, what he started in you, is going to finish it till the day of Jesus Christ. He prayed for them. He said, in every prayer of mine, I thank God for you and I pray for you all the time. By the way, it's a good way to work in your Sunday school class, your bus route, is that you love them, you pray for them, you thank God for them, and you believe in them. It's a good thing, good outline there he sees that he did that. Well, with that in mind, let's just look at our outline real quickly. Can you look at your paper? First of all, chapter 4, verse number 4, you know it, let's say it together. Rejoice in the Lord, and again... Yeah, do we can rejoice in circumstances? No. Can we rejoice in difficult times? No. What well, can we rejoice in? 
in the Lord. He's the stable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here's the outline real quickly. Chapter 1, joy in suffering. He begins to tell with them. He says, man, I tell you what's getting so rough. I want to depart to go to heaven. But for me to live is and to die is, he said, I, I think it's more needful that I stay here because I'm tired of hurting. I'm tired of going through a difficult time, but I think it's what God wants me to do. And God has given me joy in this time of suffering. Number two, chapter two is joy in service. And he speaks about what he's doing and then how he wants to send uh, Timothy. He says, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for you. He goes, I don't know how it's going to go with me. One thing that you know if you've ever been in jail or you have a loved one in jail, one thing you don't know is when they're getting out. I've been to jails many times, and one of the things that's in common is people don't know when they're getting out. They don't have a date and a time. They're waiting for that. And he didn't know when he was going to be out of this restraint. And, he, and he, it looks like he probably got out for a short time and then was taken back in to go to the Mamertine prison and where he was ultimately had his head cut off, and that's where he wrote the last book, 2 Timothy, from a different place. But he didn't know. He didn't know how it was going to go with me, but here's what I'm doing. I'm going to keep on serving the Lord, and I'm going to have joy in difficult times. I'm going to have joy in suffering and in service. The third area, he says, that I can have joy in the Savior. Joy in the Savior. If you look at chapter 3, you'll see some things. Look at verse number 10. Read it with me, would you please? That I might know and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And if you look at verse number 12, he says, not as I have already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I have apprehended for that which also I am apprehended of whom? Christ Jesus. Verse 14, read it out loud with me, everyone. I press toward the mark. Listen, friend, ministry is not the reward. Being a pastor or having a position is not the reward. Being a bus captain is not the reward. Having people respect you is not the reward. Jesus is the reward. If you press to the mark of the high calling of a position, you're going to be severely disappointed. If you, if you continue to press toward the mark of having a relationship with the Lord, you're going to be always very grateful. And uh, he says, I can rejoice in the person of Jesus. And then chapter 4, rejoice and surrender. Three things that he surrenders here in this, in this particular chapter. One is surrender your rights. Surrender your rights to the Lord. Look at chapter 4, verse number 2, would you please? He, after he tells them that he loves them and to stand fast in the Lord, because it's easy to be deceived. And the way that we're not deceived is standing fast, not in the church. When someone asks you, what do you believe? Don't tell them, well, the church believes this. No, tell them, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Lord teaches. This is God's word. Because uh, the way you can keep from being deceived is to stand fast in the Lord. But then also, you need to be in the same mind in the Lord. Look at chapter, chapter 4, verse 2. I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche. Epaphroditus ratted them out there told them that they weren't getting along, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And when you're divided with another brother, because deception is a bad problem. Another bad problem in the work of the Lord is division. He said, for the deceived stand fast in the Lord. 
For those who are divided, you got a problem with someone, they owe you money, they hurt you, they said something bad to you about, something bad about you on Facebook, or they caused a problem for you. For that person, get on the same page. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Look at verse number three, would you please? And he, t- he tells them, actually, let me go to verse number four, if you would please. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Be stand fast in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. That's what you do when you're discouraged. You can't always rejoice in circumstances. Many of us, we have to learn to rejoice while we wait. How many have a loved one that you're wanting them to come back to the Lord Jesus? What have you been doing? You've been praying and waiting. What can you do? Can you have any joy? Yes, you can have joy. You can have joy in what God's doing. When you go through zones of silence, you can know that God is working, he's waiting, and he's watching. He's still working. Whenever you don't understand what's going on, he tells them that. And of course, another passage of scripture, he says, so you're not distracted. You can have the peace of God, verse number seven, and take prayer. But uh, then surrender your rights, number letter B, surrender your responses to difficult things in prayer, and then surrender your resources, and he references the giving, how that giving brings joy, rejoicing, it's right, it's regular, It's rare, most people don't give, and it is rewarded. Well, with that in mind, there's a couple facts. Look at the facts, if you would, please. Surrender your rights, your resources, your responses, and your resources. Number number one on facts, joy is the key theme. It's mentioned 19 times. Philippians was written why Paul was in, in a jail cell, but probably a jail a home. He was probably in a rented home. I think I shared that with you while Paul was there. He wrote that. Not necessarily, probably a jail cell. Number three, the church at Philippi was founded on Paul's second missionary journey. You can read the story in Acts 16 that I kind of described for you. Number four, though Paul was incarcerated and contained and limited, here's what he had. Number one, he had a pen. And I think sometimes when folks get a little bit older and they think, you know, I don't have any, I I can't go on the bus route. We understand that. But sometimes you can do things with your pen. You could write letters that are very meaningful. I got a letter the other day from Miss Virginia Bruick. And she's a precious lady, maybe in the room tonight. But I've got a lot of letters, but boy, just that letter, when it hit me, when I picked it up, when I read it, it was extremely meaningful to me. I'm sure I'm not the only one she wrote. But you know, we can do something. You know, when you're, when you're favorite, I'm just really limited. You know what? Most of us can find a pen. We can find a piece of paper. We can encourage someone with the, written, with the written word. Let's look at the next thing he had. He had a prayer. In times of limitation, guess what? You have the same thing. <laughs> you have prayer. He had a purpose. And then the Lord gave him a pulpit. Even though it was sitting in a house, he had a Roman soldier there. At the end of his life, he says, and they of Caesar's household greet you. Well, how in the world, in a rented home, did he know so many people of Caesar's household? My suggestion is that probably he won some people to Christ. He won some soldiers to Christ who were there on rotations, and they would also protect Caesar's and Caesar's family. I think there's a lot of things happen in that situation because God gave him a pulpit in a time of very difficult. Some of you are going through difficult times. It's not easy being you today. Some of you are lonely. 
Some of you are crippled. Some of you don't feel good. Some of you, financially, it's difficult. Some of you have other issues, rejection and past. Let me tell you something. Most all of us, when there are difficult times, we still have someone to talk to about Jesus. God gives us a purpose. He gives us a pulpit. He gives us a pen. He gives us prayer. Don't make excuses in difficult times. Use those difficult times. Aren't you glad we had the book of Philippians? Aren't you glad you had the book of Colossians? Aren't you glad you had the book of Ephesians? Aren't you glad you had the book of Philemon? All those were written while he was sitting in a jail cell in a, in a rented house under constraint. Look at the last three things here. Joy is not dependent upon outward circumstances of life. We're supposed to rejoice in the Lord. So your joy, if you say, well, I'm not joyful because this happened to me and this happened to me. Joy is not dependent upon outward circumstances. Number two, value most a right relationship with Jesus Christ. We read those verses, but I might know him. And then learn contentment. Chapter four, verse 11, he says, I have learned in whatsoever content, or state I am therewith to be content. And contentment is something we need to learn. 